Good morning. I'm Reverend Kurt Stone. I uh, serve the students of this congregation, the 6th through 12th graders. Um, I'm responsible for them, uh, or they're responsible for me. kind of works both ways. This is the uh, first sermon series of 2018, and uh, the title of the series is The Worst Things That Jesus Never Said. It's a series of sayings that when said and heard may not be helpful, or worse, may represent uh, our faith and our God. The new year brings opportunity for new thinking, or as the Apostle Paul puts it, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So we have an opportunity to rethink things, and this series is intended to do that. I'll repeat what Pastor Andy mentioned to you last Sunday, and that is for those of you who believed or who have said everything happens for a reason, this is a judgment-free zone. Uh, no criticism here today. We are Jesus Christ's followers, and we are his witnesses. Our goal is to be truer and faithful in the things that we say and the things that we do because we are painting pictures of God to others around us. I know last week uh, Pastor Andy played a game with you called Who Said It? And it was Jesus or Oprah. So I have one for you this morning. It's either Jesus or Dr. Phil. Okay, you ready? So you have to participate one or the other. I'll read the saying and then you indicate if it's Jesus or Dr. Phil. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm inviting you to a changed life, changed inside and out. Was that Jesus or Dr. Phil? I don't have the graphics that he had last week. That, that was Jesus. That was Jesus. How about this one? Awareness without action is worthless. Jesus, Dr. Phil. Yeah, you're good on that one, Dr. Phil. All right, here's a difficult one. God is a loving God. Jesus, Dr. Phil. It was Dr. Phil. Uh, let's see. How about this one? You don't have to be a genius to understand these things. Just use your common sense. The kind you'd use while being taken to court when you decide to settle up with your accuser on the way instead of going to jail and paying every last penny of the fine. Jesus or Dr. Phil? It, that was Jesus. All right, uh, two more. I'm not a politician. Jesus, Dr. Phil. That's Dr. Phil. Okay, one, one last one. This one, uh, this one should be a, a, a gimme. I learned a tremendous amount from Oprah. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Well, God, be with us in these moments as we meditate upon the scripture and we reflect on it and we pray that we would hear something this morning that would change the way that we live and impact the way that we live each day. Bless us with that, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. What a horrible date for a wedding is what I heard from my older brother in South Carolina about the date that our cousins picked for a wedding on February the 3rd in central Wisconsin in the middle of winter 
on Super Bowl weekend. <laughs> I told Chris, I said, hey, I just met with Mike and Ashley at the um, Fort Jesse Cafe up in uh, Bloomington, Illinois. And if you know the reason that they selected February 3rd, it makes perfect sense. It's a perfect date. Mike indicated that he fishes during the summer and he hunts during the fall, and he didn't want to mess with a wedding in the summer or in the fall. Ashley said that she wanted a winter wedding when it was snowy out and white and elegant, when the world was elegant. And uh, they planned it that weekend because the venue was available on Super Bowl weekend. So everything happens for a reason. Uh, in this case, the February dirt, the February 3rd date for the wedding, is, the reason is because of the loves that Mike and Ashley have for the seasons of the year. Grace and Zane, my youngest daughter and uh, son-in-law, were extremely surprised one night last week when the Warrensburg Fire Department showed up at their home accompanied by blaring sirens and bright circling lights as the two of them sat down to enjoy a made-from-scratch homemade dinner. You see, Zane had grilled some steaks on the stove with his new iron skillet that he had received as a Christmas gift. And um, one of our other daughters and her fiancé had told Grace and Zane that when you get done cooking with the iron skillet, be sure to rinse it out real well before things uh, set up. So that's uh, what they did. They followed those instructions. So uh, while the skillet was still extremely hot, they put water in it, and a bunch of smoke was generated from the pan, and the smoke set off the fire alarm, the smoke alarm. And the smoke alarm is tied to the home security system, to ADT, so they were notified that the smoke alarm had gone off. They called Grace's cell phone, which was in the back bedroom that she didn't hear, so she didn't answer it. And their uh, protocol is to call a second time to see if there's a real emergency or not. And so the phone rang again, Grace's cell phone again, in the back bedroom, and she didn't pick it up the second time. And so they called the Warrensburg Fire Department and dispatched them out to Grace and Zane's house. And Grace said, we were so surprised when the fire truck came rolling down our road and stopped in front of our house. And we opened up the front door and there was a fireman all suited up running to the backyard. And there was a fireman running toward the front door with a big axe <laughs> wanting to know where the fire was. There was no fire, no fire. Everything uh, it was a false alarm. But everything happens for a reason, right? And in this case, the reason was that Grace took the advice of her older sister. It was while Linda and I were fishing with our stone cousins on Lake Gogibic in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in uh, the first week of August of 2016 when we saw it. It was incredible. It was one of the most beautiful, awesome, spectacular things in nature that we have ever seen. And we were there for it. A majestic bald eagle had been circling over uh, the lake and over where we had been fishing for most of the morning. It, um, it was looking for something to eat. And wouldn't you know it that uh, at one point it came falling out of the sky, soaring down to the water. And it, um, 
it stretched out its legs and it kind of opened up its claws and it grabbed a fish about 20 yards in front of our boat and then took off with a fish. It was breathtaking. Well, about 20 minutes before the eagle had done that, uh, Linda had caught a sunfish and it had swallowed the bait and the hook and I tried to remove um, both with a pair of needle nose pliers and I finally did it, but I not only got the hook and the bait out, I got half of the guts from the fish out with it. And so it was, uh, it was quite injured. Uh, we released it back into the lake and it swam for a while and then it floated. And then it swam for a while and it floated. And it swam for a while and floated till it was far enough away from the boat that the eagle felt safe to come and get it and take care of it. Well, everything happens for a reason. The reason that we saw that spectacular eagle come down and that, that great thing is because I'm an incompetent fisherman. <laughs> Hence, my New Year's resolution, the only one I have, it is to become a better fisherman. Everything happens for a reason. Inquiring minds want to know, right? Curious minds want to know the reason for everything, or at least something, or at least anything that happens. We want to make sense of some event or some circumstance in our lives because if we can identify the reason for it, we believe that we can understand it. And if we think we can understand it, then somehow we can make sense of it and accept it. So my other job when I'm not here at church, uh, I'm here at church halftime, I'm an engineer over at Boeing, and I've been involved in uh, 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 safety, safety management system over the last three or four years and in other activities where we try to um, solve problems. Uh, it's like if somebody gets injured, then we do a, a, a root cause analysis uh, to, to try to figure out and identify the root cause. One of those uh, activities is called Five Whys, W-H-Y-S, Five Whys. It's an iterative, uh, interrogative technique used to explore the cause and effect relationship underlying a particular problem. The goal of the technique is to determine the root cause or the reason that something happened, uh, particularly uh, with a defect or a problem. And the technique uses the repeating of the question, why? Kind of, uh, I think children invented this, right? Why? 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 The answer uh, that's formed uh, from each question is the question for the next why. And it's been observed that it uh, typically takes about five iterations to resolve the problem, to get to the root cause. So um, it's done a variety of ways. Sometimes the answers are kept in a tabular format. Sometimes there's a uh, a fishbone diagram, maybe the sunfish from Lake Gogebic, uh, x-ray of that, but a fishbone diagram called an Ishawaka diagram. And this technique was developed within the Toyota Motor Corporation is where it was um, first implemented and, and that kind of thing. But so here's, here's an automotive example. The vehicle will not start. Well, why won't it start? Well, the battery is dead. Well, why is the battery dead? Well, the alternator is not functioning. Why isn't the alternator functioning? Well, the alternator belt is broken. Well, why was the belt broken? The belt was well beyond its useful service life and it was not replaced. Well, why wasn't it replaced? 
because the owner is in the Stone family and the vehicle was not maintained according to the recommended service schedule. I know that you all follow that, but sometimes we don't. So it's a, it's a worthy activity um, to, uh, to get to the root cause, especially for machines and processes, for problems, for failures, uh, for injuries in particular, so that you can identify uh, risk hazards and eliminate somebody else from being injured. So if determining the reason for something happening is a worthy activity, then why is everything happens for a reason one of the worst things that Jesus never said? Well, there are several problems with this saying. Everything happens for a reason. The first problem is that it kind of promotes the status quo. It removes personal responsibility from us for a situation because we can just say, well, it's just the way it is. And we don't need to change it or work on it or do anything. It's just the way it is. So that's a problem with it. And uh, in addition to that, there's no uh, call, no uh, compelling reason to make a change, right? So what if, what if um, in our world it, it would be a better place if everyone suffered just a little bit less? That would be an improvement, right? Well, that means that things are happening that shouldn't be happening for some reason because we should all suffer just a little bit less. Another problem with... Um, everything happens for a reason is that life events don't always occur with a cause and effect kind of relationship. We're not cars, right? Relationships are complicated. Someone could say, well, uh, the, the Tom Stone family moved into Fort Branch, Indiana in the summer of 1976, and that's why uh, Kurt got married to Linda. <laughs> well, uh, that's one of the causes to that effect but there were a lot of other factors and some factors I'm probably still not even aware of of why I met Linda and was attracted to her and she liked my legs and hey we got married <laughs> I played basketball that's where she saw him <laughs> sometimes there's multiple causes uh, for one effect and we're not even aware of what all the causes are all the reasons and you've heard it said that God works in mysterious ways. There are some reasons that we just don't know and we won't ever know. So we've got to live into that, that mystery. The other part about this cause and effect is sometimes we can um, connect the dots in the wrong way. My son-in-law Zane, again over in Warrensburg, needed a new winter coat and so he went, there's apparently a, a large Carhartt brand distributor in that area. And so he went and looked and found a coat and put on the coat, bought it. And so he was wearing that one day. And uh, Grace said they were out driving on their way from Warrensburg to Lee's Summit. They own a big uh, Ford F-150 truck. And a, uh, a truck pulled up next to them and started revving the engine on this divided four-lane highway. And Grace said it was kind of weird because they weren't even in their truck. They were in their Volkswagen Jetta. But this guy was revving his engine like he was making an invitation to race. And, great, and uh, Zane said, it's because I'm wearing a Carhartt jacket. <laughs> so a misconnection of the dots, right? The, the wrong cause with the effect of 
the invitation to raise. So that's another problem is that sometimes we, we just don't make the right connections. Another problem with this saying everything happens for a reason is that when something good happens, we want to take the credit, right? We get a promotion, we get a pay raise. It's because of something that we did. And we're unaware of all the other reasons that we might have received a pay raise or a promotion. Um, this kind of came home to me. Um, our daughter Grace and Zane uh, announced to us before Christmas that they're expecting a baby. So it's our first grandchild. And I've had people coming up to me saying, congratulations, congratulations, congrats. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I realized that it's not my baby. It's, <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with it. But I want to, you know, I want to take the credit. I want to bask in the glory of that great news. But it's, it's Grace and Zane's baby. It's their good news. It's their story, right? But we want to take the credit. So the flip side of that is that when bad, something bad happens, we don't want to take the credit for that. We want to pass the blame on to somebody else. And oftentimes that somebody else is God, right? We think about wildfires, the floods that have been happening, the mudslides that we've heard about this past week, uh, train derailment. Uh, some of these natural events that happen are considered to be acts of God, right? So we blame that on God. Um, sometimes things happen and there's no good reason of why it happened. Um, think about the evil in our world. Uh, somebody that's been abused as a child or think about massive genocide that's happened in our history or uh, in other parts of the world. And uh, there's, there's no way that we can say in that case that everything happens for a reason, particularly no good reason. But the worst aspect of this phrase, everything happens for a reason, is that it's merely a modern paraphrase of the old statement, it's God's will. It's God's will. The text from Mark tells us that life brings the best and the worst to everyone, but God brings God's best gifts, the sun and the rain, to everyone regardless Regardless if you're good or bad or nice or nasty, God brings God's best gifts of those things that nourish and promote growth in our lives. So this saying that it's God's will or everything happens for a reason is not true and it's not helpful, especially when you're facing an exam that you just failed or you're dealing with a broken relationship of a close friend or you're dealing with the illness of a family member or you're dealing with um, the death of a spouse or the impending death of a spouse, or that you're still reeling from the news that your newborn baby has a birth defect or has medical issues. You, you don't want to hear from somebody that it's God's will or that everything happens for a reason. Paul says in his letter to the Romans that there are situations where we are weak and we're tired and we do not know how to pray, and the Holy Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for our words. That's the lead-in to this verse, uh, verse 28 in Romans. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that God works all things together for good for the God-lovers. In late 2003, 
after much pastoral counseling and thoughtful prayer and a long-running conversation uh, with my wife, Linda, I made the decision to make a transition from full-time ministry to um, full-time engineering and part-time ministry. I got to tell you that uh, it was a difficult decision. It was a trying time. I, um, I felt a lot of guilt. I thought I had let the, the church down in Indiana. I thought I had let my family down. I had a pastor uh, colleague who told me, you'll have to surrender your ordination credentials because there's no place for a part-time elder in ministry. That was encouraging. Another friend said, hey, you're turning your back on your ordination vows. What are you doing? And I got questions like, have you lost your faith? Or are you, are you quitting the church? That's the kind of stuff that I heard. I didn't want to hear that everything happens for a reason or that it's God's will. They didn't know what was happening in our family. Been embarrassed to even talk about it. But I'm going to tell you that we were at a crossroads. Indiana is the crossroads of America, you know. We were at a crossroads because we were financially broken. We ran out of savings about halfway through seminary. Linda was finishing her undergraduate degree with uh, four kids. And so we were a single income family on a pastor's salary at a small church. And we were a family of six. We had a five-year-old at that time with special needs who had medical issues. We were um, living in someone else's house is the way we put it. We've been in a parsonage for 10 years, and we really, really, really just wanted to be in our own space. Um, our older two girls at the time were in middle school, and they were getting ready to start high school. And um, we were struggling. We were um, working along. We were, we were doing what we could. And it was uh, at that time when uh, I got a phone call from my district superintendent. And the cabinet and the DS, the district superintendents and the bishop, make up the cabinet of the conference. And they are the ones that um, it can initiate a move of a pastor. So a pastor can request a move, or the church can request a move, or the cabinet can give you a call as a, and tell you that, it's, that they want to know if you're interested in moving. And so they gave me a call, and they said, hey, we want you to move from this town of about 1,000 down to a metro area in south eastern Indiana by a big city. Uh, the hospitals will be there to help take care of your son. Uh, it's a larger church. There's some staff there. It'll be a larger salary. And I said, that'd be great. That would really help us out. I would, I would move for something like that. And so uh, the gears start going, and uh, I get a call two or three days later, and the DS says, well, no, they... Uh, uh, they, they assigned somebody else there, but um, we, we have another church that we want you to think about. Will you, will you be willing to move to uh, this church in southwestern Indiana? And uh, they told me about it, and I'm like, well, of course I would. That, it's a larger church. There's some staff there. It'll be a big bump in pay. And it was close to, uh, close to home. It was close to my in-laws. It was close to family. And so it put us back in our support circle, which would be, would be really good. 
two or three days later, I get another phone call. Well, no, they've, they've assigned somebody else. You're not going to go there. So it was just a, it was like being on a yo-yo. You're going to go, you're not going to go. Uh, are you willing to go there? Yeah, we're willing to go there. So they called, they called a third time, and they said, we want you to move to this other church. It's, uh, it's 10 minutes away. It was at the intersection of two county roads. It was smaller than the town of 1,000 that we lived in. Our kids were going to have to change schools. Um, it was a, a little bump in pay, but it, it wasn't worth moving, you know, that kind of a deal. And I said, no. I, I said, that, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for me professionally. It doesn't make any sense for the congregation that I'm in. Um, it's not that big of a bump in pay. I mean, it's not, I'll spend the... Whatever you give me an increase, I'll spend that just in, in moving. And they said, oh, okay, well, uh, in that case, since you said no, uh, you'll have to write a letter to the bishop and request a reconsideration. And, uh, oh, by the way, if you do that, just know that it's not good for your career. And uh, I had to say, wait a minute, you called me. <laughs> I've been bumming along here and serving this other church, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not... It's not great, but we're, we're doing fine. And um, so I had to write the letter. And so that precipitated um, uh, kind of a, a chain of events, uh, the counseling, like I said, the, the talking about what could we do for our family. Uh, is this really God's will for our family that, that we're living this way, that we're using the, the WIC coupons to get peanut butter and milk and that kind of stuff? And... Um, I called over to a friend at Boeing, and I said, hey, Joe, I said, is, is it too late to make an engineering comeback? And he said, Kurt Stone, we've been wondering where you're at and what you're doing. We want to talk to you. And so I came over for an interview, and this is how the interview went down. It was two people and me. They said, uh, what job do you want? There were two positions open. They said, how much do you want to get paid? I had no idea how much. I had been out of engineering for 10 years. And then they said, uh, when can you start? I said, well, I'm a full-time pastor. I said, I've got to get through Advent and Christmas, so maybe in January I could do that. So we settled on the job, and they figured out the pay for a contract engineer, and we picked the date in January. And so they said, hey, before you go, we got one last question we want to ask you. Are you going to stay in ministry? And without hesitation, I said, yeah, I am. I'm going to find a church. And I'm going to be in ministry part-time. And you know what they said? They said, good. Because we didn't want Boeing to be the reason that you quit ministry. And so they've been supportive all along. Linda and I and the kids, we moved over here to Troy in January of 2004. Um, I'm on honorable location. So I'm not appointed. I'm not itinerant. Um, but I'm on honorable location. And I still send my pastoral annual report into Indiana so that they know where I'm at. I'm... I think I'm probably one of the most supervised elders uh, that I know uh, being on staff and, and, and being here. But I've got to tell you that um, the, um, the ministry here has been terrific for me in living out my call to ministry. The work with the 6th through 12th grade students the past uh, four years has been um, a huge boost of energy and enthusiasm and motivation for me. And um, I, it's just very, very engaging. Our story isn't done. The Stone family story isn't done. But I can tell you this, that God works all things together for good.
This is the thought of Romans 8.28. God knows the mind of the Spirit, but we know God works all things together for good for those who love God. Therefore, God works all things together for good for us, we in whom the Spirit is operating. And not only us, but all of creation has been groaning, Paul says. Creation is groaning, we struggle, we have difficulty, we suffer, we deal with pain. We join with creation and us together and with God's Spirit in God's work of redemption. It is a confession that because we are in God's hands, the kind of God who sent his own son for us, that all things finally resolve into good. Our confidence is sure, precisely because our future is not in our hands and does not depend on our faithfulness or our ability to be true to God. Rather, our lives and our future, it all lies in God's hands. Redemption is the powerful act of a loving God. And part of that love is to not allow anything or anyone, including us, to botch it up. Let us pray. Oh God, we confess with our whole heart that you are good all the time and that all the time you are good. Enable us to know that your spirit dwells in us and that your will for us is for each of us to be who we are. You've created us. You've made us in your image. You have breathed into us the breath of life. And what you have created and what you want is for us to be in fellowship with you and in service to others. Let us know that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our depression or grief or whatever it is that we're dealing with, enable us to know that you are at work in all things, that you bring all things together for good for those of us who are God lovers. Amen.